0: Friends and listeners, and welcome to episode 8 of season 10 of the Thoughts Hermes podcast. Today is Sunday, October 15, 2023, and I am very glad that you have joined us again here for a new episode featuring today C.R. Dunning Jr., also known among friends as Chuck Dunning, and we are talking mainly about his latest book, the Rosecraw Oratory, but it's not at all a purely Masonic episode, as you could maybe think now. No, it's much wider than that, Rosicrucian, Hermetic, of course Masonic as well, but get yourself surprised. I'm glad to have you back here on the show. It's my great, great pleasure to have you back those who come back and those who are here for the first time it's also and maybe an even greater pleasure to have more and more new audience and it's also a great pleasure to once again have new patrons here on the show and wonderful thank you so much for being supporters of the show and in particular i want to thank our member on the initiate level you know, there is that initiate level, a, a special level for supporters on Patreon. And I want to thank Imbulk, the International School for Western Magic, for being such a Patreon member. It's great to have you with us here and uh, to support this show. And I could only ask you also to go on their website and have a look at this school. Really interesting um magic school western magic school that you could discover there talking about websites well you should go to the south hermes website as well dot com. is southhermes.com and there you find not only all the episodes so far over 150 now but also you can of course send me a message and uh let me know how you think, what you think, and if you have music, I keep saying that if you have music, if you're a musician yourself, if you produce music, and if you want music of yours to be played on the show, well, go there and let me know. You have um, a voice mail type messagery there, you can also send me a classical message via email at info@thoshermes.com or you use the contact form, it's very easy. And of course, um, you can always tell me all other things as well, not just about music. I would like to know how you feel about our show, if you have ideas, things that you would like to hear and see. And of course, i have like to have your feedback, what you do like about our show, maybe what you do not like. It's always good to have also interesting, positive criticism to have to, can, to be able to improve the show always important. So, do go, do communicate, do be part of the community on the Thos Hermes podcast. Well, I spoke about music and, of course, also some music will be played here today. Um, Well, there is a German composer who I found on the internet. He did not send anything to me, but I liked very much what I heard. And I'm going to play three different types of his pieces here today. It's a kind of new neoclassical music but um highly interesting i believe and um before i do that before i play the first piece which will be called ad lutzem so towards the light which of course is a good thing um for esotericists we all go towards the light don't we at least we try to um well i think It's also a particular reason why I chose that piece at this very first spot. Our time and the days and weeks we are going through at the moment, and people in the world are going through suffering. Um, It's quite incredible what's happening in the world. And my friend Walter Hannegraff, who was here on the show about ten months ago, and who does not know Walter Hannegraff, the great academic on all things regarding the Western esoteric tradition. He posted on Facebook a short text by Etty Hillesum. Etty Hillesum, who was born in 1914 and died at Auschwitz in 1943. Listen to those words, please. Listen and take them in. And immediately after that, I'm going to go into that music called Ad Lutzem, Towards the Light because it's those words who, if we take them seriously, will carry us, at them. I know that those who hate have good reason to do so. But why should we always have to choose the cheapest and easiest way? It has been brought, barn forcibly to me here, how every atom of hatred added to the world Makes it an even more inhospitable place. And I also believe, childishly perhaps, but stubbornly, that the earth will become more habitable again only through love. At Lutzem by Stefan Kraus, German composer. Very beautiful piece, and well it fits so well to what Chuck Dunning, who will be my guest now in the interview today, wrote as a dedication, as a signature to the dedication in the book we're gonna talk about here today, a Rose Kra Oratory, and um, when he Well, he's a friend and he offered me that book and um, he signed the book Caritas Lux Est. So I don't think I need to translate that to you esotericists out there. And it all fits very well. Unfortunately, I must say it fits very well to what's happening in the world. Well, fortunately, because we always need love, not only in bad days. We need love all the time. But it's at Lutzem that towards the light that we need to go, as it was done in the music, as it's in that book that we're going to talk about today, and as it's been always the case in Rosicrucianism, which, of course, is the core of that book. And I sometimes read texts to you here, uh, texts from the book, and I will do that here today as well before we go to the interview. But um, it's from the foreword, which is by somebody else. Most of you here know another good friend of mine, Greg Kaminsky, who... I did read, write, write the foreword to that book, Rose Craw- Oratory, by Chuck Dunning. And I may just read a paragraph or two from that foreword because it's also well-fitting together. Rosicrucianism has always held a very special place in my heart, he says. Perhaps it was the mysterious origins of the tradition or the manner in which they gathered together various strands of esotericism to syncretize them into an authentic spiritual path, or the way that members never professed themselves to be one, or that their purpose was to heal the sick at no charge, or the desire to reform society at every level, or perhaps the combination of all of these motives that led me to study the Rosicrucian writings and practice their methods. But more likely than not, it was the emphasis on love as the basis for life and the pursuit of wisdom that won me over. Regardless, I was hooked and never really let it go. I find the Rosicrucian philosophy and tradition to be sublime, inspirational, and something I feel drawn to as a way of being and knowing. That is why I spent so much time and effort devoted to learning about and understanding what it meant to be a Rosicrucian, how this tradition spread from Europe to the New World, how Jewish Kabbalah came to be adopted by Christians, and how Rosicrucians employed alchemy as a means for healing and spiritual growth. Those were the words of Greg Kaminsky about Rosicrucianism, about the book, part of the introduction to the foreword uh, of that book that we're going to talk about here today, a Rose Square Oratory. But just before we go to that interview, uh, I need to tell you that Chuck, uh, he wants you to know that when he identified the three apartments as black, red and white in what we talk about, the 18th degree ritual of uh, Freemasonry. Um, He wanted to know that he misspoke by identifying those three. So don't get confused if you know it differently. It's not crucial, but it's important that you know, right? (laughs) Little error that occurred during the interview. Well, good. So without further ado, let's go and speak to C.R. Dunning, Jr. Here comes the interview. I have the pleasure here to, well, to have somebody who comes back to this podcast again, but... um this time all, all alone last time we had him in one of those three-year shows chuck dunning or cr dunning jr as he is known as an author on his books is here with us today uh, chuck i'm very happy to have you back on the show and uh, it's well it's just great to be with you again
1: thank you rudolph it's a real pleasure to be back with you and i've enjoyed our friendship over the years and it's always a pleasure to speak with you thank you and that is
0: true we have been in touch well for quite some years now, within the podcast, but far beyond that all the time. And that's very nice. And we have many common things to share. And the immediate reason, Jacques, why we are meeting here today is a book that you released earlier this year, um, which is called a Rosecraw oratory. And which, which is quite something special, I I think it uh, has something that uh, in it that, that is quite unique. I don't know any other book which talks on the one hand so clearly and deeply about the 18th degree in in the Scottish Rite, in Masonic Scottish Rite. But it goes far beyond that and also beneath that I would say. It goes on both sides of, of the degree itself. The degree is almost like a pretext for the book I would say. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. we will try to talk about all that, about uh, where does the thinking comes from? Where does it lead us? And where can we work with it? And I think that's also a crucial part of the book that it's not only knowledge to, le- to read, it's knowledge to practice with and to get wisdom from isn't isn't is that right? Is that what your intention is?
1: Yes, very much so, that um, that there's a good amount of, of theory and some history in the book, as well as some real clear instruction on practices that someone can do uh, to really deeply engage the tradition that we're talking about today. Right. And... If people were
0: here last time listening to you, I would like uh, to point out or remind those who have not been here that uh, we spoke about the books that you had already written for the three first Masonic degrees about contemplation about the uh, mental work in that context and Would you say that this book is kind of an extension of that, goes further and beyond, but in the same vein, or is it for you a very different approach?
1: I would say that there's definitely some continuity from the first books uh, into this one. However, there's a significant difference. Um, In this book, I really do get more into a different Deeper and particular spiritual stream mm-hmm. that connects with masonry, and um, and my personal investigations of it, and what that has led to, uh, in terms of a set of practices that that I have done for years now, that I have helped other people learn, and uh, and refined, and wanted to make public for people who are either masons. Uh, and already familiar with the 18th degree or interested in the 18th degree of the Scottish Rite, and, uh, and non-Masons as well, who have an interest either in Masonry or Rosicrucianism, because ultimately that's what the book is about, is the intersection of these two streams of Masonry and Rosicrucianism through the 18th degree, and, um, and how we can, anyone, can dive deeper into that stream.
0: Right. Before we go into that, Jack, uh, do you want to tell our audience a little bit? Um, what has happened? I think it's two two years almost now that we have been speaking here on the show, if I'm not completely yeah. wrong. And uh, what has happened since then in, in your in your author's life in your maybe spiritual life. Um, and uh, maybe just give those who have not heard that show a short little background on your on your on your origins in that field.
1: Sure, sure. Um, So I came to masonry looking for a contemplative initiatic tradition. Um, I had done some investigation under the guidance of an esoteric teacher um, and a philosophy professor, uh, that being the same person. Uh, I'd done some investigation of the Masonic tradition, and I grew up in a family with lots of Masonic connections. And so I I was convinced from my study of the tradition that it offered uh, you know, an initiation into a contemplative tradition, a, a genuine wisdom tradition, a somewhat parallel or akin to the ancient mystery traditions. And, um, and so I got into Freemasonry, and like many people who had such visions coming into the fraternity, I was disillusioned. Um, I found that while our ritual and our literature said one thing about the tradition, often the way it is practiced uh, in everyday life in lodges and in Scottish Rite Valleys uh, and other Masonic organizations, um, it's really, you know, typically more of, of a fraternal and fellowship organization. But I knew that I wasn't the only one that had come to the fraternity or would be coming to the fraternity looking for this, the same thing. And so uh, as I continued to do my own studies and practice, particularly in um, the Western esoteric traditions, but also with some experience in Eastern traditions like Kundalini Yoga, um, as I continued to, to develop my own practices and my own studies, I began to make parallels between some of the things that I was doing on that side and what Masonic ritual was saying and Masonic liter- literature, particularly older Masonic literature, was saying about the spiritual potentials of our tradition. And that's what led to those uh, books that uh, Contemplative Masonry and the Contemplative Lodge was helping brothers understand how they could, uh, use contemplative practice to enhance the, their experience in masonry and, um, and find more depth and, um, more philosophical and spiritual light. Um, then in, um, after the, after the, the The contemplative lodge was published in two thousand twenty one. I was already at work on another manuscript that um, I was excited about, and I found kind of a lull in the in the work on that manuscript. And during that lull, I was hit by inspiration for this book, A Rose Qua Oratory, and. And what I saw, the potential that I saw here was actually sharing uh, an even deeper level of my own practice uh, with others who might have an interest, who saw in the 18th degree some of the profound philosophical and spiritual depths, who saw its allusion, at least its allusion to the Rosicrucian tradition. And, uh, and to provide an opportunity then for people to, to be able to, to do something with that, to understand that they're not off base, that this is a natural uh, connection to make and a natural avenue for deeper philosophical and spiritual work. Um, and, um, and so I spent the next... Uh, probably a year, year and a half putting together the manuscript before I was able to get it off to the publisher. Uh, and then it was published in Holy Week of this year, 2023. And um, uh, I've, I've been told by my publisher that initial sales on this book outstripped anything that I had done previously. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm really happy with the result I've been getting some really good feedback about it. I've already got some uh, people who are consulting with me about working through some of the material themselves, and um, it's just a—it's a really exciting thing for me to be involved in, and and to feel like I'm I'm serving as a as a good instrument of light for those who are of like mind. Great, and
0: I mean. I I couldn't agree more with that. Uh, whole you were thinking about whole the whole week, of course, whole week speaks is very important to the rose Crow degree. We will probably go yes. into that a bit later mm-hmm. and I was planning initially to have you on the show in Holy Week for Easter Sunday actually <laughs> but then I took that nine month break on the show and we had to postpone it so I um, apologize for that but here
1: we oh, are n- no apology necessary <laughs> things work out the way they should absolutely um, right talking
0: about that degree um, you said something um, that um, this is an illusion To the eighteenth degree is an allusion to Rosicrucianism. I, I kind of want to hit you on that word because, um, but maybe we before we can do that. I think we have many non-masons here, and we should have many non-masons here because this is not a Masonic podcast nor a Masonic subject only. It's really much further than that. That's right. So maybe we should explain. You should explain what exactly the 18th degree is, where it is positioned within the Scottish Rite, what it also means for the Scottish Rite.
1: Yes. So uh, let's talk first about where it's positioned within the degree system of the Scottish Rite. The degree system of the Scottish Rite uh, consists of 33 degrees. um, And typically within the North American contingent of Freemasonry, Uh, it's only the fourth through the 33rd degrees that are actually um, provided by the Scottish Rite itself. We have an agreement with our Grand Lodges in North America, typically, that the first three degrees of the Symbolic Lodge or the Craft Lodge or the Blue Lodge, however you want to call it, um, those are provided in the Typical Preston Webb varieties of ritual, which are significantly different Mm. from Scottish Rite degrees. So the Scottish Rite picks up after the third degree with the fourth degree. And um, the fourth through the 14th degree is concerned with the legend of building King Solomon's Temple, the first temple um, in Jerusalem and um, the symbolism of that is is really rich and is 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 a complete initiatic system in it's in its own right um, at after the 14th degree and when we move into the 15th degree we're now moving into a different historical context the 15th in the southern jurisdiction the 15th 16th 17th and 18th degree are in um, a subordinate body called the chapter of the Rose-Croix. Uh, in, in North America, m- many of us say Rose-Croix, uh, just so, so some of the listeners out there may be unfamiliar with Rose-Croix, right, right. that pronunciation, but that is the French pronunciation.
0: And we call it the the, the, the Ritter from Rosenkreuz here. Yeah. So it is the the... the Chevalier de la
1: Rose-Croix, if you want, to we'll translate it into German. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes. And so in the 15th, 16th, and 17th degree, um, the, the story there is now going back to the refurbishing and reconstruction of the temple um, under the auspices of the Persian kings Cyrus the Great and, and Darius. And... Um, Uh, And then in the 17th degree, there's this very clear shift into um, Christian language and iconography with uh, a heavy emphasis on John the Baptist and uh, John the Divine, St. John the Divine, who wrote the book of Revelations. And the 17th degree really emphasizes strongly the, um, th- that repeating story in masonry and in mythology and all of the great spiritual traditions of destruction, of, of things um, being laid waste uh, so that something new can arise. And in the wake of the 17th degree, in which we're told that the most significant lesson of the 17th degree actually isn't revealed until the 18th degree, the in the wake of the 17th degree, the 18th degree comes along and it has all of this beautiful symbolism associated with the rose and the cross. Um, and uh, And it begins with the story of this initiate who... Um, is joining in a process of grief and mourning for the state of the craft. Uh, The temple has been absolutely destroyed and ruined again. Um, Many of the working tools have been lost. Uh, It's a very dark scene. And uh, yet he wants to be initiated into this next level of illumination. And so he's sent on a journey, and in that journey he is uh, hes told to watch the heavens for signs. And uh, in watching the heavens for signs, what he rediscovers are the three theological virtues of faith, hope, and love. Um, often in Masonry, we speak of love with the word charity, uh, which was the English word that was originally used to translate the... Um, the Latin caritas, caritas which, was, yeah. hmm. which was the translation of the Greek agape. And so when we're talking about charity and masonry, we're not just talking about philanthropy. We're talking about this selfless, universal, spiritual love that uh, shows up in the context of faith and hope. Those three theological virtues first show up in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, where St. Paul talks about what agape means in human terms. The whole chapter is about that. And he says it's the most significant of the three. And that then leads the initiate into, um, well, along the way, he he has an experience of descending into um, what most people would recognize as hell. Uh, it's a very fiery transformative experience and um, a promise of 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 what we must suffer the consequences we must suffer if you know if we are not very virtuous people and if we willfully uh, do things that uh, we know are not based in faith hope and and love and um, and at the very end of the degree in the in the last parts of the degree he is introduced to the story of Jesus of Nazareth not in the sense that you must be a christian to receive this degree at least in the in north america that's the way it's done you don't have to be a christian to receive this degree and so you can interpret the story of Jesus of Nazareth as you would the story of any great wise uh, person who came to impart Um, wisdom and healing to the world. Um, And we particularly um, attend to what Jesus said about the new law of love. And, And we look to the new law of love then as being that thing that lifts us out of the ashes and the rubble of destruction. And and is the thing that guides us now in everything that we do and all of our rebuilding efforts and and, and, um, and our struggles to, to make ourselves healthier, happier human beings and to make the world a healthier, happier place.
0: Now I have a couple of questions for you. I think it's not a secret for our listeners here that uh, I shared... Uh, I share the uh, uh, I share being a, a, a Scottish Rite Freemason with you, so that I think yes. we can say as much here. So uh, we speak about the same organization, so to speak. I am fully like you that when I joined Mason in the beginning, I was like many others. A bit disappointed not having immediately found the esoteric background. After a while, I found where I had to go to find that, like probably you did. <laughs> yeah. But um, the Scottish right, of course, um, in North America and in the part of uh, Europe that I live in, is rather similar. And maybe we should just explain that the Scottish right um, in each country and in uh, has has is supreme, as it says. So it, it has its own independence yes. but of course it linked to the rules and the the, the the prescriptions by its mother council which is the southern jurisdiction for most of them um, yeah. meaning that the rituals are not the same in each country but very very close to each other so right. what you were saying here about the north american 18th degree and the others you mentioned before is very um, similar to what we practice here in Austria, for example, hmm. um, it might be a bit dif- different in the Latin-speaking countries or French-speaking countries because the tradition is different there. Would you yes. agree on on that in ba- in in general?
1: Yes. Yeah. I think I think that's true. I mean, I know that there are some countries in which there is a requirement that you profess Christianity as your faith to receive the 18th degree. Uh, but there, there are very few actually in Scottish Rite. Right. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. Mm. But um, so when you say, uh, well, I always tend to say the eighteenth degree is even numerically in the middle, yes. in the center, because when we start with the fourth degree, and not speaking about the first three because they don't strictly belong to Scottish right, and and leave it to the, up to the thirty second because thirty third is a kind of supplementary. It's not really initiatic in the deep sense. It's more.
1: It's an honorary,
0: honorary, and administrative. Exactly. Yes. Then, if you count, then you find the 18s exactly in the middle. That's true. And at the uh, heart. That's the heart, exactly. And <laughs> at the heart, and at the heart, you're talking about love and and inspiration of agape and charity. Um, yes. I think that's that's exactly it. And maybe it is that love. Uh, that's my theory. But please contradict me. You need that. You need to learn that love. You need to perfect yourself in lots of perfection, as it is called, um, and to find that love, to be able to find it. And you need that love to go on further. Otherwise, you will abuse of the knowledge you could get later on.
1: Yes, I know. I absolutely agree with you. I'm sorry I'm not able to contradict you here. (laughs) uh, Yeah, Um, I think one of the great reminders of the 18th degree is – Um, is that we do come to the heart after all of this journey of refining the mind and developing the virtues and so on, that it is love that enables us to take the next step into a a higher or deeper level of awareness, understanding and and manifestation of the light.
0: Absolutely. And isn't that, in fact, the part of at least Scottish masonry, which is universal and goes much beyond um, masonry yes uh, because it it's the truth for each esoteric movement if you have not learned your your virtues if you haven't found love then you shouldn't go any further because you're gonna harm yourself and others
1: that's right yes that's right yes and um, something that we may talk about, more as we go into things, we also find that there's a transcendental aspect of love. Mm-hmm. That love itself is is um, is capable. And, and 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 Thomas Aquinas wrote about this, and not the only one, but kind of as you mentioned earlier, this is something that is known across many traditions. That love itself is a doorway to transcendence. Yeah. Um, that we can speak of the divine as love with a capital L. And and so our love for the divine, our love for the great mystery, uh, is what carries us beyond everything else that we can do. Our minds can't take us that far intellectually. Our emotions can't take us that far. Our physical actions can't take us that far. But love can. Absolutely.
0: And... Um... It's. Right, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's light, life, and love, the three. Yes. Uh, which also, in the context of the Golden Dawn, are being used as a kind of greeting, as a kind of.
1: Yes, yeah, so we Hebrew find sign, that right all over Western esotericism. Absolutely. Light, life, and love seems to resonate all over es- Western esotericism.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, you mentioned Christianity and its, rule, its role in this 18th degree because of the figure of Christ. Um, yes. Because, of course, and we come to that in the Rosicrucian background as the, as the Christian Rosencruz background, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And do you not have the feeling that sometimes this is also irritating the one or other brother? Because... He feels that Masonry is something non-dogmatic, so what does Christianity play as a role in here? How would you respond to that?
1: Oh uh, yeah. I I do. I see I see your point and I absolutely have witnessed um, Masons you know, being irritated by this on both sides of the, you know, the Christian non-Christian Absolutely, fence.
0: Absolutely, because those who because those who are very Christian they also could be irritated by some interpretations of what is being
1: done in exactly right exactly yeah 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 and so um so one of the things that we do in the eighteenth degree is before the degree actually starts we have a process of of ex- explanation. And we, we tell all of the candidates coming into this degree that, um, that even though it focuses in Christian symbolism and language, it is not a Christian degree in the sense that we're pre- presenting Christian dogma as something that must be accepted and practiced by the individual. That what we are doing is providing an opportunity for everyone to look at this rich tradition of, of wisdom, of, of spiritual and philosophical light, mm. in the same way that we're looking at other traditions within the degrees of the Scottish Rite. For example, uh, Egyptian religion shows up in uh, at least one of the degrees off the top of my head Judaism for sure Islam shows up in the 25th degree right um, and uh, and we look at the ancient mystery traditions as well and so you know even those uh, ancient traditions um, and and the idea is that we're trying to um, this is my explanation of it we're trying to help, Uh, candidates and initiates of these degrees see the universality of certain principles and teachings, and uh, and yet also the very sweet and special distinctness of different traditions. Mm -hmm. So that we can say, yes, they all have certain things in common, but they're different in emphasis, in symbolism, and in, in ways that can speak to each person um, very powerfully, and and so um, most of the time when brothers come into this environment, and I should say that there are also women who who experience this degree through co-masonry and um, mm-hmm. and and other traditions. That um, most of the time uh, that's understood and doesn't seem to be a problem, but I think. There are some who've either been traumatized by their experience of Christianity or have so thoroughly identified themselves with with the the kind of um, uh, exclusivity that uh, Christianity often uh, uh, wraps itself in. Demands, that, mm-hmm. yes, and demands, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That um, that it's difficult for for. Brothers of either of those two types, mm-hmm. to to become comfortable with this degree, I'm not too disturbed by that. I think being uncomfortable is part of the initiatic process, and um and and how each of us works through that is going to uh, provide plenty of opportunities for growth.
0: Absolutely, and I would say that finding as the Hermetic calls it the neutralization of the binary. Uh, yes. Uh, means always to find the new way and not neutralizing in the sense of don't care on either side, right?
1: Well, <laughs> and you've put your finger on a very specific teaching within the 18th degree. Mm-hmm. About the re- in in the language of the southern jurisdiction, it's about the resolution of contraries. Right. And it's that alchemical process of how do you take two things that seem to be opposite and find a way to bring them into harmony with each other, integrate them. And, you know, in, in alchemy, we're always working in these threes of salt, sulfur, and mercury, Certainly. right? Yeah. Particularly like in Paracelsus and alchemy. And, and so in, in, um, in the 18th degree, we've got this triplicity of faith, hope, and love. right? And, and it's love, the new law of love, is being presented then as that fluxing agent, mercurial element, that it makes it possible for us to harmonize what whatever it is that seems to be in conflict.
0: Which brings me to... I find a highly interesting point. I suppose you have the same. I want to point out just for our listeners: we are not talking about Masonic secrets here. This is, can all be read and found in your book, in other <laughs> books. So don't get excited about it. It's 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 all out there. We are not going to yes. reveal anything we are not allowed to reveal. Um, but um, what I was going to say is, uh, I suppose you also work the 18th degree in two temples, in the Black Temple and in the Red Temple. In
1: we call them apartments in in, okay. in North okay. American masonry mm-hmm. and uh, we start off in the uh, in the black apartment right and goes to the red apartment and ends up in the white apartment
0: uh, well um so um which is an order is slightly different than what I would see it because of course when you take the uh, when you take the nigredo, Albedo, Rubedo, yeah. alchemy, yeah, yeah. that is perfectly fit. And we only have the two with the past being, between the two being the white one. So interesting difference. But what I, in, in the Black Temple, when, when we meet faith, love, and hope for the first time in that context, yes. um, interestingly enough, and I would like to hear you on that, uh, it's not when the lights go out so to speak um it's not love that remains in that first moment in the black temple it's hope yeah so um and everybody would I think when you're a candidate you would re, you would expect that love remains not, <laughs>
1: um,
0: so so why is that why is hope remaining and I'll not love in, in the first place
1: yeah that's a really good question and um uh, I've, I've I've given this quite a bit of, me- of meditation about the relationship between these theological virtues, and what I find is that there are times in which it seems that love is invisible. Mm. It seems that love is not available. Um, nothing, uh, the words of of love ring hollow and untrue. And, uh, and so what is it, what is it that carries us through those darkest times? Mm-hmm. And that's where we fall back on faith and hope and, and hope in particular being that vision and motivation for something better than what we have now. And, um, and it can lead us back into a place eventually where oh yes love was here all along i just wasn't aware of it i just couldn't see it couldn't hear it couldn't feel it
0: yeah and we find it in a way that we're not going to explain here then later on exactly
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so let's let's move a bit to the rosy question here before we delve into the book more deeply. Um, Of course, this is linked, as you said, uh, the allusion to to Rose Croix uh, as as the Rosicrucianism that we all know when we talk about here on the show and on other occasions. Um, in, In what aspect is this fama fraternitatis, Rosicrucianism, to call it like that? Part of it, and in what part is it different from the Rosicrucian? Where do you see the parallels, and where do you see also
1: the differences? Yeah. Wow, that's that's a huge. eh? (laughs) It's a huge question. Come back in an hour, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, so just quickly, you know, the background of the Rosicrucian movement begins historically. Uh, It it enters public vision with the Fama Fraternitatis. So just to remind people, 1614, right? 1614, followed Mm. by the Confessio in 1615, and then the Mm. Chemical Wedding in 1616. And uh, these three texts are often referred to as the Rosicrucian Manifestos. And um, they outline an approach to Christianity, uh, a way of being Christian, that is really extremely radical for the times. Um, it is an—I mean, we already had Martin Luther come forward, and so we've had the—you uh, know—we've—we've—we've we've, we've had the Protestant movement, uh, particularly in Germany, and—and. And, and this grows out of that Lutheran movement uh, to take things even further. Um, and so, for example, you know, one of the things that they talk about is this tradition of secret knowledge and and learning that the mythic founder, uh, Christian Rosenkreuz, um the secret learning that he went on a quest for as a young man through the ancient world um, around the Mediterranean, picking up on different traditions, including uh, Kabbalah and alchemy. and, um, And then all of this illuminated his background because he was already a Christian monk. It illuminated his background as a Christian and helped him then develop further insight. To me, This is a reflection of the Renaissance spirit, that spirit of of the Renaissance of recognizing that the ancient traditions of the world had something in them that illuminated Christianity, that helped us find the deeper esoteric, mystical aspects of Christianity, the things that you know that are alluded to in the New Testament when Jesus says that he speaks to the masses in parables, but he speaks to his disciples directly and gives them the the pure truth. And um, and so there's this initiatic kind of quality um, that the Rosicrucian movement is talking about from the very beginning. And um, and so that is a significant departure because. Prior to this, the the whole process of initiation within Christianity, within mainstream Christianity for the time, was, you know, going through baptism, chrismation, and so on to become a full member of the church, Mm -hmm. but not being exposed to any of the deeper, more esoteric teachings in that process, not being educated in any of that. And so, Rosicrucianism comes forward and says, this is what we're doing. We're doing that deeper process, and we're connecting um, symbolism and language of Christianity with things that are being taught in these other traditions, like Kabbalah and alchemy. And um, and so, I'll, I'll stop there with the Rosicrucian movement, which to me is a mythopoetic movement. We might want to talk about that a little more later. Yeah. But... Um, So I'll stop there with that and jump to the Scottish Rite and to the the Rose Qua Degree in the Scottish Rite. Now, the Rose Quad Degree in the Scottish Rite never references Rosicrucianism. Right. Um, It does, particularly in the the more modern uh, versions of the ritual, it does speak of Kabbalah. It does speak of alchemy. It does have some hermetic influences that are obvious. There's one in particular that I can't reveal in this context. Um, and, um, And so there's all of this language and symbolism, and particularly the Rose Cross itself, that indicates a great intersection of these two traditions, at least symbolically. And it's kind of left at that. And, um, and so we've had Masons over the years now, some saying this is a Rosicrucian degree, and some saying, no, it's not a Rosicrucian degree. Albert Mackey very famously says in uh, his encyclopedia that that a Rosicrucian Freemason and a Rosicrucian just cannot be the same human being. And um I'm not sure why he said that because I'm I, reader, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah yeah. Um because I think there's a lot of evidence to contradict that. And in fact, I, I give quite a amount of attention to that in the book of showing mm. how how much evidence there is to conclude that the eighteenth degree of the Scottish Rite is just one of many degrees that were developed in the 18th century to to bring Rosicrucianism and Freemasonry together in a very clear way.
0: What a source of knowledge he is, and uh, it's a really interesting topic, I think, a very moving topic as well, at least to many of us and to you, I hope, as well. Great. Well, it's time for some music, isn't it? Right. Uh, Stefan Kraus, who is the German composer who I, whose music I play for you here. You can find him, of course, on YouTube, and I will link his YouTube page in the show notes, as always. Um, he has done very different types of music, and now I want to play you something which I believe is very very interesting, a bit mysterious, a bit dreamy, and that's also the title of that piece. It's called Vorbeigeträumt dreamt aside dreamt yes aside i would say that's the best translation for it uh, we will hear that piece of music uh, this one and also the third one there's a lot of percussion in it and uh, so after for by we will go back to the second part of the interview and when we are done with the interview the third piece is called feu, so low fire but it's very powerful on fire that music you'll hear it right so let's enjoy that let's enjoy vorbeigeträumt first then go back to the interview with chuck dunning and after that the third musical piece today here is called "Badefeu." after which of course i will come back to tell you who will be my guest next week on the show Enjoy! One of your chapters is even titled by one of the clearest examples about that, the cubic stone to the mystic rose.
1: Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. So, Of
0: course, when you, and again, this is not a secret and it can be seen in the book, when you develop the cubic stone, it becomes a cross. Yes. Uh, and in the middle of the cross, we find the mystic rose. That, yes. How we, fa- we, how we go there to find that path, that's something else. But um, <laughs> uh, that is, of course, a Rosicrucian symbol. And when you see, for example, many, many of our listeners, non-Masons will know that uh, the secret teachings of all ages by Manly P. Hall. We have the, the version with the famous illustrations. and um, yes. You have the jewel of the Rose Croix, uh, one of the plates, beautiful plate, actually. With, yes,
1: it's very with beautiful. With the
0: pelican, with the Rose Croix, with the, well, with the cross and the rose. Uh, yes. With, with the Masonic compass. So it's everything there, right? Um, yeah. Including the famous letters i n r i so Mm -hmm. um maybe we go into that a bit later but now let's move on to your book because i i i'm really now getting into that and how how is your book built you have three parts foundations reflections resources so um can you maybe give us a bit of your of your approach to that book and how people should also work with it. I'm saying work, not only read as we yes. said in the beginning. How should they work with that book?
1: Okay. Yeah, so you, you did put your finger on a very important structure that's involved here. The first section of the book, the first part of the book, is um, uh, Is a set of reflections, the foundations, um, on the theory and history that I then use later on in the book. I think a lot of times what happens in esoteric literature is we get a lot of history and theory, or we get a lot of technical instruction, but we don't find a good balance of those.
0: In and the we also, rules of all kind, not just Masonic, you know yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. It could be yeah.
1: plumbing, you know. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and, uh, and another thing that you don't often get when people are introducing theory and history is they don't lay out their own personal history relevant to what they're talking about and the potential for bias that results from their own course in this direction. Um, what, the thinking, what their thinking is that guides what they've selected to, to present to you. And that's an important part of this book. I really wanted to include that for people to know this is the background that shapes how I think, um, how I have experienced all of this symbolism and these techniques that I have been practicing uh, and, and some of the techniques that I developed. And and so if you know this about me Then you'll understand better what's going on here and you can be a little bit more informed about where some of my biases might be and how it gives you a little more freedom to think for yourself is the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Also. That personal disclosure provides many points of contact for readers who will see something in my background and go, oh, yeah, that's a lot like something that happened in my life. Mm -hmm. That's a lot like things that I was thinking and feeling in those parts of my life and so on. And and so it automatically then the, the writing automatically begins to engage them at a deeper level. It's not just intellectual. It's now something that is engaging them emotionally that they're connecting their own history with. And, um, and so it's more engaging than of the whole person, not just the intellect. Um, then I go into, uh, explaining in those first three chapters, um, particularly the second chapter, I, I talk about the ethos of Freemasonry. Right. And and particularly looking at the ethos of uh, Freemasonry from a Platonic view of love uh, and an Aristotelian view of virtue. And how do those two complement each other? Mm-hmm. Um, because that then... Um, lays the foundation for all of the practical work that comes later. Um, if you don't have a clear understanding of, of what I mean by love and what I mean by virtue and how those two go hand in hand with each other, then much of the rest of the book doesn't really work. Um,
0: Which to me sounds very parallel to what I said earlier. If you don't get a virtue in a re- degree. Perfection degrees, you cannot experience the 18th degree, right?
1: Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah that's it. And we find this pattern in lots of traditions where right. you spend so much time working sure. on virtues mm-hmm. and developing virtues before you're ever really allowed to pass the veil into the deeper mysteries.
0: Absolutely. And for a good reason. Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, and so, um, then, um, then in the third chapter, I go into the history of, of Rosicrucianism, the, the mythopoetic movement of, of Rosicrucianism, and how it intersects with Freemasonry to show the relevance of Rosicrucianism, particularly to the 18th degree, and and also some other forms of Masonic Rosicrucianism. Yeah. Then the second part of the book is focused on. Um, Reflections of how this Masonic symbolism of the 18th degree uh, really speaks to the same aims that existed in the Rosicrucian movement. The idea of transforming the self and becoming an instrument of healing, not only for oneself, but healing in the world. And... um, and so I look at the 18th degree kind of from two different perspectives uh, of the symbolism. One is really focused on the four elements and and, and how they intersect with the cross um, and and the rose. Um, and another chapter is focused on the cubic stone and mystic rose symbolism. Um, and and so. Those two chapters then provide a kind of sense of okay, this is what the work is about. We 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 have the underlying theory. This is what it kind of looks like in application. These are the things that are supposed to happen to an individual who does this work. And then in the in the third part of the book, um, we get into the the kind of the triad, the, the traditional triad of Rosicrucian studies, which is Kabbalah, Magia, or Magia, and Chemia or Alchemia. Um, and the fourth chapter of that final section is on service. So how do we take everything that we've done and all of these other learned and practiced in all of these other chapters now and actually take it out to do something for others more directly, because even when we're doing for ourselves, we're doing for others. But more directly, serving others through these skills and um, and insights that we've developed. Now,
0: do you aim the book? I, I'm talking about aiming, right? Do you aim the book at Masons only, or do you feel the book you wrote here is something that? also as an audience, goes beyond masonry.
1: To me, it goes beyond masonry. Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, yeah. Um, you don't have to have received the 18th degree to pick up this book to, to understand what it's saying and to practice the methods that have been provided in the book and get results from them. You do not have to be a mason to, to do that. Absolutely. Um,
0: I, I might be biased, but I very strongly feel like that. I might be biased because I'm a Mason myself, but but uh, <laughs> I get the impression and I would encourage people who are not Masons to to buy that book, really, and to, to work with it because it opens exactly in that respect that you and I were mentioning several times here early before to to have to come to the point of of agape, or to charity, or whatever you want to call it to avoid the word love for a moment. Uh, and <laughs> um, um, to, to, to develop yourself further also spiritually and esoterically and in the occult and whatever is your tradition. Um, I think it's crucial and this is a very good tool. I, I, I may name it like
1: tool to learn that wouldn't you say so? Well, I hope so. Um, mm-hmm. I, I hope so. i That's what I wanted. I wanted anyone who's, who's interested in Rosicrucianism, esoteric Christianity, um, um, psychospiritual alchemy, anyone who's interested in those topics, whether they're a Freemason or not, can pick up this book and be taken on a course of inner work that will produce results uh, if they follow through with it.
0: I would even say either of those currents. Yeah. You, know? um, you don't need to be interested in esoteric Christianity no. to profit of that book. You can if you are, but yes. if you're just, just interested in Rosicrucianism, um, it will help you as well. And if you're just interested in psychological alchemy or psychospiritual alchemy, you will find your way in it
1: right yes i think so and i mean it is imp- i think one of the things that i start the book off saying is that you don't have to be a christian right to do this work hmm. but you do have to have a certain level of comfort with christian language and symbolism right and and if you can look at Christian language and symbolism as representative of things that are meaningful to you without buying into all of the dogma and you know and, and feeling like you have to make a, a confession of faith to mm-hmm. be a Christian. If you can if you can do that, then you'll find this book useful.
0: Absolutely. I mean that might be even a necessity for big parts of Western spirituality because, I mean, the Western traditions are highly influenced by history and definitely by Christianity, of course.
1: Certainly. I mean, you know, we t- the Golden Dawn has been at oh, the yeah. crux, so to speak, of Western esotericism for a long time now. Yeah. And, and you really cannot talk about Golden Dawn work without engaging Christian symbolism. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And without but not having to be a Christian at all for that. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. I'm very curious to hear you on uh, on those four, well, the three resources that you mentioned, Kabbalah, Magia, and Kimia. And um, mm-hmm. of course, they are Rosicrucian from origin, but it's very rare, especially to hear Magia in the context of Masonry. Right, mm, um, yes. seems to be a word that they we all avoid because it's a bad word. What could it mean? <laughs> you know? uh, and um, could you expound a little bit on that? Because I would, it would be nice to to understand also for our listeners who probably encounter that problem i shouldn't talk about magic too much (laughs) in public
1: even you know um, and whatever you do rudolph don't put a k on the end of it yes well exactly (laughs) well i'm 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 of that
0: current as well i don't like the k either to be honest but that's maybe more a linguistic question than than, than an ideological question in my case um but What is the magia you're talking about here? Is it theurgy? Is it something else? Um, And what will you say to those people who try to avoid that word, um, how to respond to the public request?
1: So one of the things that I do is I just try to point out the origins of the word. Hmm. The origin of the word goes back to the the ancient priesthood of Persia, Zoroastrianism and other ancient uh, Persian religion, and it was simply their version of priesthood, the rites and rituals that they performed in order to invoke the divine and mm-hmm. and the spiritual beings that serve the divine. Right, um, you know, like Catholic priests do when they not only celebrate the mass but they also. Um, Say litanies and prayers to saints and and archangels, right. and um, and so this is exactly what the Persian priests were doing, and um, and we know them now as magi. And every Christian is familiar with the story of the three magi, which we often refer to as wise men, mm-hmm. who who followed the star of Bethlehem to come to. Jesus and recognize him. Uh, and um, and so there is within Christianity a nod of respect to this tradition of practicing these rites and rituals of priestcraft, that there's some value to that. Mm-hmm. Now I know that there's also a lot of condemnation about magic that comes from Christianity and right. Um, And and yet, I think it's a mistake to say that means every form of magic is now considered anathema and evil. Um, Because if we do that, then all of the rites and rituals we practice within Christianity, within Freemasonry, all of those things are essentially priestcraft. And uh, it's the idea of making changes in consciousness according right. to our right. will, right? And according to a higher will, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so that's ultimately what we're talking about. And yes, the term theurgy, although it originated in a kind of pantheistic context, uh, has been adapted. To more modern times, um, in a kind of more mystical way, the idea of a divine one that we can connect with—I think Plotinus and Porphyry would be good examples of, of the kind of theurgy that that has been inherited in Christianity, uh, esoteric Christianity, and other forms of Western esotericism—of doing this divine work, this work of God, to realize our oneness our connectedness with the divine and and to become therefore more effective instruments of the divine in mm-hmm. in the world of creation
0: yeah yeah i'm just thinking um about definitions of magic and i i can't really remember it by heart now but uh, G.O. Mibes, who, who I presented here, uh, you know him probably, the resurrection from, from the early 20th century in, in St. Petersburg. He, mm-hmm. he had his very own definition of magic that reminds me very much of what you were just saying, because he doesn't only speak about the changing of the, the usual one, the changing of the, 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 uh, the, rea- of reality by your own will to make it very mm-hmm. simple but mm-hmm. he says it is needed that the consciousness of a person or of a group of people needs to solve a problem and mm-hmm. they do that by by producing something that is called magic and that comes very close to in my view that to what you were just saying it needs the, it is that including of the group I find very interesting and that's exactly what yes. the intrusionism, masonry and Mass too, right? (laughs) Yes.
1: Yes, that's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're actually just talking about ritual in a very – ritual that's that's performed in a very intentional, mindful way. Mm -hmm. Ritual that's performed with um, connecting – all of the different aspects of our psyches, right? Right. Physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual—that which transcends the intellectual—all of those things coming together in harmony, in the performance of ritual, and focused on, fine-tuned towards some specific purpose. Right. Um, and and any and any master mason who is familiar with the opening and closing of of a a Master Mason's Lodge ought to recognize that's exactly what we're doing when we open a Master Mason's Lodge. Absolutely. And that's exactly
0: what happens when the Catholic priest opens Mass.
1: Yes. Yes. Or in a Protestant church when we go through, we go through the order of worship and, and, you know, we're moving closer and closer towards celebrating communion or the the preacher's uh, sermon. You know, it's, all intended to change us change our consciousness and focus it very are. cleanly and and it's
0: definitely in Maybe not the epic I can't bring out the word now. You know, uh, uh, episcopal church. Thank you. There you are. Yes, (laughs) in the U.S. or in Anglican church. That's or Lutheran church. That's less the case. But in Baptist, in 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 all those more later uh, developments of the Protestant churches, the evangelical churches, they also have the agape as the meal between between the community of people like we have it in masonry, blue masonry especially. yes, Yes. It's it's very interesting, I find, because that's part (laughs) of ritual there. And to me, it's always bringing back the spiritual elements because we had to leave the matter outside when you go into the spiritual world, the temple, the church, and then you go back to the meal because that brings the four elements together again and you can go back into the world after having shared bread.
1: Yes. Yes. I I don't
0: know if that's the symbolism that you see in it. but Very much so. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, Having said that, we were talking about hermetic symbols, um, Kabbalah and alchemy. You have it also here in those chapters. In what context do you see them here, particularly in the 18th degree present? Just briefly so that people get an idea what you're talking about.
1: Sure. Um so I think one of the ways that we can understand Kabbalah or Kabbalah is classically we th- in Western esotericism, the first thing that most people think of is the tree of life. Mm. That system of organizing um the way we think about and work with the 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 principles of creation and manifestation, uh, those divine Powers and forces and elements, and um, and yet the tree of life is not immediately present in the 18th degree. Right. Um, however, if we understand what Kabbalah is, what it is in a larger context, it is really about trying to achieve this deeper knowledge of. Of, of oneself, of how creation works, and therefore of the divine. And all of those things are touched on in the 18th degree. All three of those things are touched on. So deeper knowledge of yourself, deeper awareness of nature, how creation works, why things are the way they are, how you can change them, and then a deeper relationship with the divine. All three of those things are present in the 18th degree. And, uh, and so we see the resonance of... Philosophically, between the 18th degree and Kabbalah, even if Kabbalah is not directly referenced in the 18th degree, Mm. however, at least in the southern jurisdiction in the United States in North America, Kabbalah is is introduced in the fourth degree, and we're told that without an adequate understanding of Kabbalah, much of the symbolism of the of the of the degrees in the Scottish Rite will evade us. We won't we won't notice it. And so, with that in mind, that's essentially telling us that every degree after that, we should be interpreting what we experience through the lens of, of the Kabbalah, and particularly the Tree of Life, which is presented in that lecture. Right. <clears throat> so, there's that connection um, with the 18th degree. And then, uh, Magia. We've already talked a lot about in terms of r- the ritual process. The process of transformation then is where we start to move towards chemia. Uh,
0: sorry, just just to, to, to one more second on Magia. Um, talking about, I wouldn't even call it free will, but well as Crowley called it, the true will. I think the true will is something that goes, for me, much far beyond Crowley. It's not... It's not yeah. He didn't invent that. It's just he expressed it clearly. Um, yes. Is the will, the true will, um, how strong is that present in, in the eighteenth degrees magia that you're mentioning?
1: Well, the candidate is repeatedly tested. Hmm. Repeatedly tested. From the moment the candidate appears... In that first apartment, all the way through, there are repeated tests of, is this what you want to do? Are you sure that this is, you know, you're going to go forward? Look at what you're facing. Look at the challenges that you, you know, that that life is presenting you. Is this what you want? Do you intend to go forward? And, and each time the candidate answers, yes, this is what I want. This is, you know, I'm going to devote myself to this. And then, of course, there's the obligation, which is an affirmation, an absolute affirmation that I am personally aligned with the principles and the aims of this degree. My will aligns with the will expressed in this degree. So it's it's it couldn't be any clearer
0: i'm insisting on this for a very particular reason because one of the most impressive i wouldn't even say pages it's maybe one page of your of your book to me maybe it because it speaks to me because that's exactly what i often say also in, in lot or in in not only lot, in in, in contexts uh, that go beyond uh, even uh, not only masonry but even uh, occultism or esotericism is if you want transformation then you have to do transformation uh, you have to burn yourself <laughs> you you might you say at some point you might lose uh, friends because uh, yes, because you you change, but you become the person you would like to be. But um, if you don't, if you're not ready to go along that path, uh, you don't even have to start basically, I'm I'm making That's it right. simple here. But I find that highly interesting, highly true, and very severe. What do you say to
1: that? <laughs> yeah, I, I think severe is a good word for that. That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that there, as you said, and, and as I say, is that if you really want transformation, one of the things that's necessary is you have to be willing to step into the unknown. You have to be willing to risk What you know about yourself, what you know about the world, what you're comfortable with, you have to be willing to risk that with the faith and hope. Right. So there's hope again. Right. With the faith and hope that there's something uh, better, uh, truer, Hmm. um, more beautiful, wiser, stronger and and that you you can't foresee exactly what that will be because if you could then there would be no pointing in 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 moving toward it very
0: important point yes
1: yeah mm-hmm. so you have to be willing to step into the unknown and risk all of the things that you think you know all of the things that you're comfortable with and all of the things that you identify with you have to be willing to risk those things and I think Jesus, this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, you know, if you're going to follow me, then you have to take up your cross daily. Yeah. You have to be willing to crucify yourself on an ongoing basis.
0: Right. But, yeah. but because you're saying it without symbolism, you're saying it in your book uh, just with plain words. <laughs> you could use uh, without any symbolic context. that's why it's so strong and I think it's a crucial point that's why I'm insisting here on it, especially in a world where social media and everybody has replaced symbols and become their own symbols mm. uh, and when we when it would be so much needed that everybody makes up their minds truly and not just follows, uh, others uh, because they want to please others and, and yes. take up their opinions. That's which right. to me is part of the reason of that strange division we are experiencing that you can only say yes or no to things, or it's only two, it's a dualism that has installed itself, which to me comes out of that um, non willingness of true transformation
1: it is and it's also a lack of of consciously engaging the power of love right because it it's love that that enables us to find the middle ground and and even the the territory outside of the the field of combat mm-hmm. you know and yeah. and so yeah. yeah we have to we have to want that so there's the will and we and we have to understand that the the magical power that makes it possible is love.
0: Absolutely. And we have to there, of course. That's yeah. part of the four, of the fourfold request as well. <laughs> yes,
1: that's right. We didn't
0: even speak about that. You know, unless so you go into the, the past from yod Hey wav Hei to I-N-R-I, we could speak about that as well. But I cut you off. Um, you were
1: going into Kimiya Sorry about that. Let's move into Kimiya Ah, okay. Well, it fits. I mean, it fits here because so Kamiya is the is the term that I choose to refer to psychospiritual alchemy in the book, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and I do so because that word gives a nod to the ancient backgrounds of this practice, and and while the historiographic school of alchemy is really shedding a lot of light on on how recent a lot of our psychological ideas are about alchemy, we know that people were um, finding spiritual significance in in the practice of alchemy and in alchemical symbolism um, prior to the Rosicrucian, the emergence of the Rosicrucian movement. Um, And so when we look at that, there's a rich tradition of talking about alchemy in Christian symbolism and language, and talking about the experience of Christian transformation in alchemical terms, and uh, and so that then becomes uh, a platform through which I provide some exercises to directly engage in a very intentional and intensive way a process of personal transformation. And, um, and one of the things that I talk about, too, is that even though we're not performing laboratory alchemy like in, in the sense of spagyrics where we're trying to distill essences from plants or, or minerals or something like that that we may then use for healing purposes. Even though we're not talking about a physical laboratory in that sense, we are talking about a physical laboratory in the sense of our own bodies. Right. Our body chemistry changes. That's one of the things that changes in response to the kinds of practices that we're talking about. Right. And there's emerging science on what just the practice of meditation does to our brain chemistry and therefore the rest, you know, our endocrine system and so on. And not only does it change the chemistry, but then there are physical changes in the brain that have been mapped mm. with the practice of meditation. And um, some of these things can be overblown and, 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 and so on, And but there's, there is actual evidence, scientific evidence of this now. But we don't have to read scientific papers to understand this. Anybody who has found themselves ruminating – on something that happened to them a long time ago that can still stir the feelings of anger in them knows that they're creating a chemical change in their body. They're Mm -hmm. actually doing a kind of alchemy in that moment. What we think about changes our body chemistry, how we think changes our body chemistry, how we breathe changes our body chemistry. And those things over time have cumulative effects that assist that can assist the transformation of a person into something wiser stronger more beautiful than they are now right
0: yeah absolutely and how some say how we love changes our chemistry
1: absolutely yes yeah
0: well chuck it's it's a fascinating topic we could go on for a long time i'm afraid we are Coming to the end of this, of of this (laughs) show already. uh, there were many things we didn't even have the time to talk about, but that's good. So people need to get that book and, and, and read it for themselves. Um, and as you mentioned in the beginning, you are one of those authors who, when people have a question for you, you will even reply if they ask. Yes. So that, that should be pointed out. Um, I have one question I want to ask you before I let you go. Um, what uh, you you mentioned something about another manuscript that you even started before this. Is this coming mm-hmm. soon or something else that you would like to talk about that's coming?
1: Yeah, I am uh, working on another manuscript. So I'll have another book coming out. I think probably I'll try to uh, publish it about a year from now. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't talked with the publisher about dates, but he knows that the manuscript is coming. And um, and so it is a manuscript that I started right after I finished the manuscript for the Contemplative Lodge. Right. Um, And um, and (laughs) I didn't know that I I was kind of content to just let it sit on the shelf, so to speak, Uh, but um, actually got an internal prompting through a dream to get back Mm -hmm. to work on it recently. And uh, it is a mystical Platonic view of of craft masonry of the first three degrees. Not limited to that, I also touch on one of the Scottish Rite degrees. But it's a it's a Platonic. It's if you if you're familiar with Platonic mysticism, then what I'm saying now will make some sense. But it's if if you look at Freemasonry through this lens, what is it teaching us about? Um, the way to transcend, and the way to uh, connect with the divine at the highest levels possible for us, and and I and I think that there are very clear signs in Freemasonry about how we're to do that in our tradition and how that's possible, and so I try to explain all that in this in this forthcoming book.
0: Right. Well, at the latest, then we should talk again here on the show, shouldn't we?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I would always welcome that opportunity.
0: Well, thank you, Dutch. Thank you also in the name of all our listeners that you turned the air conditioning off on your end uh, before we started the interview. <laughs> I hope it wasn't too hard on you being there in Texas in the mid-afternoon. Uh, uh, and, uh, but uh, thank you for your time especially and for deep insight and highly interesting things you had to say and uh, well good luck for everything that's coming up
1: thank you rudolph it's always a joy to be able to spend time with you and i hope your listeners find something here of value and uh, yeah i uh, i'm really grateful for this opportunity to speak with you and maybe to reach out to some other souls absolutely and i'm sure
0: people will appreciate thank you and uh, have a good rest of the day and and
1: thanks for all thank you (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
0: Maddefull by Stefan Kraus, lovely piece, I believe, and I hope you enjoyed the music just as much today as you did the interview with Chuck Dunning and uh, Rose Qua Oratory, among other things. Of course, as always, we continue to talk about other stuff around that subject, and I think that's always very nice when you have people like Chuck who are so knowledgeable. Great. So I hope you had a good time here today, as I did. Thanks. Thanks very much, Chuck, for being with us here today. And thank you to you, the audience who have joined us again here today on the Thoth Hermes podcast and been with us. And I hope you will also return next week, of course. And next week... Well, my guest will be, again, somebody you've already heard on the podcast, but uh, I think you're really going to enjoy that um, because um, I don't know if the first interview I did with her was the really very first interview she did on a podcast about her books. At least it was one of the very first. And since then, she has really taken off over the last year, year and a half. Marlene Seven Bremner will be my guest next week. We spoke about her first book about a year, a bit more than a year ago. And now, well, this time it's her second book and just as interesting, just as great. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to present that interview to you. And, uh, well, I hope you will be with us next week. You would miss something if you wouldn't as always actually so have a good week stay safe do something about this world this world needs it and it's worth it right and probably Rosicrucian love is quite a good place to start with take care stay tuned hear you soon